Everlast is the young adult ministry of Calvary Worship Center located in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Everlast is a place where young adults can come encounter Jesus, grow in Jesus, and make Jesus known. Well, uh, yeah, I'm super excited that you guys uh, were able to make it out tonight, that you guys braved the storm. Uh, we are continuing on in our series, Let's Talk. We're starting our second phase of it, and our phase, second part of it. And uh, tonight we're talking about dating, relationships, and marriage. And uh, I absolutely love Disney movies. Like, I love all the new ones, like Tangled and Frozen and Moana. I think they're good. Don't get me wrong. I think they're good. Uh, but I grew up during the classics, right? So because of that, I still think that the better ones are Lion King and Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast, right? Now, my favorite all-time Disney movie is The Little Mermaid. Now, some of you are like, yeah, and others of you are judging me. Okay, back off, all right? If you're judging me for The Little Mermaid, back off. Because to be fair, you got to be honest with yourselves. It was probably one of the best-written Disney movies of all time with the best music, right? I mean, part of that world under the sea where the people are, kiss the girl, my gosh. I, I sang that every time I wanted to kiss Melissa while we were dating. <laughs> but Disney capitalizes on this idea of a happily ever after. When we watch these Disney movies, what we're watching is we're watching good always triumph over evil. And we're watching the prince save the damsel in distress, besides for some of the new ones, right? But... Um, and then what happens? They get married, and they what? They live happily ever after. But what Disney doesn't tell you is what happens in that happily ever after. Because you see, as we're watching these movies, we're watching these rated G, rated PG movies, but what they don't tell you is the, the after the marriage part, it becomes PG-13 and rated R, right? They don't want to share with you what's going on on the other side of that happily ever after because they want to build up this this perfect wedding and then they don't want to let you down with these unrealistic expectations or they set you up for unrealistic expectations they don't want to let you down with the backside of it and for example let's take the little mermaid right like i said it's my favorite one of the disney movies take the song kiss the girl for example how many of you ever realized that what disney was actually promoting was the idea of two people kissing without the guy ever hearing the girl speak Interesting, right? Like, I'm not even going to touch on the fact that she just turned like 13 years old because that's weird. But, but that, that's, what, that's what's going on. Because without, like, everything that Disney set up with The Little Mermaid, if you really kind of think about what they set themselves up for on the other side of marriage of that happily ever after, they really set themselves up to enter into marriage with rough waters ahead. Pun intended. You're welcome. <laughs> But again, Disney doesn't want to show the part that takes place after the happily ever after. The opening clip obviously was from Up, and uh, if you've never seen it, you've got to watch it because it's amazing. But the thing that I love about Up is the, the exact clip that we just watched is probably the first time that Disney Pixar ever gave everybody a good idea of what happens after that ideal wedding. Because as we watched through that clip, what Pixar and what Up gave us in those five minutes was the goods of marriage, right? We saw the wedding day and we saw the fun and the dating and all that kind of stuff. We saw the bads that come with marriage because we saw the, the house expenses, we saw the injuries and the sickness and all that kind of stuff. But they also gave us the ugly, 
of marriage because we, we witnessed the miscarriage that took place within their marriage, and we also witnessed the death of a spouse. These are the things that sometimes you'll find in the happily ever after. So my goal tonight as we talk about dating and relationships and marriage is to actually paint a, a map, to give you guys a map for you to have, at least attempt to have, the happiest, the happily ever after that you can have for your own marriage. Because I believe that the Bible gives us that roadmap. It helps lead us to the best marriage ever. And, uh, and, and some of you might be thinking, Again, I'm not going to sit here and assume that all of you believe what it is that I believe. So some of you might be sitting here and going, hey, I don't believe everything that the Bible says. In fact, I'm not even sure if there's really a God looking out for me. And let me say this to you. If, that, if that's you, sweet. I'm glad that you're here. The only thing that I'm going to ask of you is because I want you to be able to have the best dating relationships and the best marriage that you can possibly have. Just hear me out. And at the end of the night, you can choose for yourself. God gives you that right. You can choose for yourself whether you want to take this and run with it or not. I'm just going to present to you what God has to say on these things. Um, because here's the thing. First uh, John chapter 4 tells us God is love. Think about this. God is love. That means every moment that you have a feeling of love throughout your day, throughout your life, you're actually experiencing a little bit of God whether you believe in him or not, because God is love. Every time that your heart goes pitter-patter or anything like that, you're actually getting a little bit more in tune to who God is. Jesus said in John 10, 10, that his purpose was to give us a rich and satisfying life. And I believe, especially as we're covering this topic tonight, I believe he, he even meant it for our friendships. I think that he meant it for our dating relationships. And I think that he also meant it for our marriages. He wants us to have rich and satisfying marriage, uh, uh, friendships. He wants us to have the best friendships. He wants us to have great uh, dating relationships. And he wants us to have the most awesome marriages ever with the best mind-blowing sex that you'll ever experience. Okay? And I, get, I know that sounds a little awkward, but it's true. Like, if you, if you haven't cracked open your Bible lately, crack it open and check it out because there's tons of sex in there. It's weird. I mean, there's even, like, a book in the Bible that back in the early Jewish culture days, like, you couldn't read that. Like, like it was X-rated. Like, if you walked into a gas station, it was, like, top shelf with, like, a plastic bag covering over it so you couldn't see, like, what even the cover looked like. So they didn't want, like, these pervy teenagers walking in. We're like, oh, let's see what's going on here. What is that? Like, they didn't want that, right? Like, they wanted you to be able to experience these things at the proper time. But another thing that you'll find in the Bible is that Jesus loved love. Jesus loved going to weddings. In fact, in the book of John, in the second chapter, the very first thing that we walk in on is Jesus attending a wedding. Now, we're, we're in a different environment tonight. So I appreciate you guys being here. We have one TV, so the guys sitting on the wings, you guys are in a perfect spot. Those of you sitting in the middle, you're kind of just going to have to listen to the words. If you can see the TV behind me, perfect. If not, just, just listen to God's word. But let's read John chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Let's see this wedding that Jesus went to. Because it says in the text, it says, The next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus' mother told him, They have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem, Jesus replied. 
My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. And standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. And when the master of ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the least expensive wine. But you have kept the, ba- the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. All that tells me is that Jesus loved the idea of love. That tells me that Jesus loved the idea of two people coming together and the idea, that idea of these two people coming together was something that needed to be celebrated. It's awesome. So this is what I believe, that if you guys hang with me tonight as we walk through this second installment of our series and we talk about dating relationships and marriage and all that kind of stuff, this is what I believe. I believe that you will see that God perfectly sets up a roadmap for us to follow in order for us to win at those things. So let's pray and then we'll actually dive into our topic tonight. All right? Father, I am excited about this. Uh, God, you know my heart. Uh, more than anybody else does, that I I take this seriously. Um, As we got together with our leaders earlier and we prayed over this night, they heard my heart that I believe um, that Satan hates this topic. Because when two sinful, selfish people get together to serve one another, God, they're recreating the thing that you said was very good in the garden. When two people come together in marriage, God is setting back up what you had originally intended this world to look like. And there's still the bumps in the road. But two sinful, selfish people coming together to serve one another, that beautiful image of our our Savior Jesus in the church, God, what a threat that is to our enemy. So God, as we dive into this tonight, God, we dedicate it to you. And we look forward to hearing what it is that you have to say about this topic. So God, speak tonight. Let us have open ears and open hearts to receive. We lift this up in your son's name. Amen. Well, if you're taking notes, I titled my message tonight, The Long Game. The Long Game. And so if you guys were here last week, I had mentioned that my wife and I experienced two months ago this thing called birthing classes. And it got weird last week, so this one won't get weird, I promise. But uh, they, they kind of, they, they go through this process of telling a couple, hey, when it comes time for you to have the baby, we have some uh, tips for you to get over the, the fear and the anxiety and the pain of childbirth. So they give us a list of ideas. And on this list of ideas, they sat there and said, hey, why don't you bring in like a, a, a good smelling candle that you like? They also sit there and say, bring in a picture of, something fun that you love to do, the outdoors, like your pet, anything that's going to take your mind off of what's going on. They also sit there and give the idea of bringing music and movies. They have DVD players in the, 
in the uh, delivery rooms now is weird. So you sit in there, and she was actually saying that there was a couple that she worked with that they put on Braveheart for the delivery. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I'm just imagining like she's giving birth, and right when she gives birth, that's when like Wallace is like, freedom! It's weird. But she also gave one more tip, and I actually like this one because this one makes the most sense to me. She said, picture the end in mind. Picture, picture the end result. And what she meant by that was get with your spouse and talk it out. What's it going to look like at the end? Imagine hearing your baby cry for the first time. She says, imagine the two of you coming together and holding your child for the first time as you, as you embrace each other in love, as your duo becomes a trio. And I really, really like that. That one made the most sense to me because the idea was that when you have something to look forward to, it makes it that much easier to push through and achieve the goal that you're aiming for. And marathon runners do this all the time. I don't know if any of you are marathon runners or if you like to run, like if you hate yourself or anything like that, but um, marathon runners, like look, if you're getting ready to run a race, you're not thinking, oh man, I, I can't wait for the pain during the middle of this run. I can't wait for the sweaty mess that I'm going to be in. And I can't wait for how tired I'm going to feel. No, when, when runners get set at the starting position, they're already imagining and, and pretending, what's it going to feel like for me to cross that finish line with my hands in the air in victory, knowing that I did it? Because it's that image, having the end in mind is what's helping them persevere through those moments when their legs are ready to give out on them, when they're thinking, hey, man, this isn't worth it, they think, hey, I already know what it's going to feel like to win, and I want to feel that and push through it. And I think that we can actually apply what Melissa and I went through in the birthing classes and this marathon running mentality when it comes to your marriage. Think about it. Actually, better yet, let's try it. Close your eyes for a second. I want you guys to play along with me. So close your eyes, and just for a second, I want you to imagine if you're, if you're on your deathbed, okay, your old gray hair, ladies, you've got whiskers on your chin now, and you're getting ready to take your final breath, right? What would it look like to cross the finish line with your arms raised in the air knowing that you won at your marriage? What does that look like for you? Because here's the thing, it's going to look different than the person that's sitting next to you. So what does it look like for you to be able to cross that finish line? Your, your hands are in the air in victory, and you said, man, I did this thing the best I possibly could, and I, and I won at this marriage thing. So now open your eyes. Now I'm guessing a lot of you, as you were picturing through that, you actually kind of did a fast forward through your entire life, and you're seeing kids and grandkids, and you're seeing like an awesome house with a white picket fence and all those kinds of things. But I'm also guessing what you didn't picture, I'm guessing that you didn't picture the medical bills. And I'm guessing that you didn't picture the financial debt that you could end up finding yourself in. And I'm guessing that you didn't picture this idea of divorce. And why? It's because it's not a natural part of our life. It's not part of the winning formula. And the reality is that those things were never part of God's original design because those things are not natural. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, 
They brought sin, death, destruction, hardships into this world. And part of that, one of those things that got twisted along in the line was this idea of marriage. But when God created everything, he looks at everything and says, man, everything is good besides for this one thing, right? Now, if you're familiar with the Bible, you already know what that is. But in case you're not, I'd love to read it for you. It's found in Genesis 2.18. This is God speaking. It says, then the Lord God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And if I paint that picture for you even better, Adam just like sat there and got finished, like just finished naming off all the animals that God ever created, right? And of all of this, none of it, God's sitting there watching Adam do the thing that God called him to do. And of all these beautiful creations that God did bring together, none of them were right for Adam. So God remedied that. And he brought a helper who was just right for him. The story continues in verse 21. It says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. He says, at last, the man exclaimed, this one, this one right here, this one is bone of my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked but they felt no shame. Guys, right there in that text that we just read, God invented marriage. But then sin entered in the world, and separation came, and brokenness became a part of the new norm. In the book of Matthew, there's a recorded conversation between Jesus and some religious snobs, and they ask Jesus, hey, so our law actually permits divorce. Now, this should be familiar to us, because our law here in the United States, it permits divorce as well. So they're having this conversation with Jesus, and this is how Jesus replies in Matthew 19, starting in verse 4. He says, haven't you read the scriptures? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. Jesus is now quoting scripture back to these religious snobs, okay? And he says, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to, uh, and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. And they say, and why did Moses say in the law that a man could give his wife a written notice of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession. All right, I give. I'll give you what you want. A concession to your heart. Jesus is saying your sinful hearts. But it was not what God <clears throat> had originally intended. In Malachi 2.16, it clearly says right there, God hates divorce. Why? I'll tell you the reason I think. I think it's because when people get divorced, it reminds God of the ultimate divorce that ever happened. The divorce that happened between us and God. Because when we sinned, when sin entered into the world, we became separated, torn apart, divorced from God. So when people get divorced and God is witnessing this, I think it breaks his heart because it's a reminder to him that something is not right in this world that I originally created. <clears throat> Marriage.com says this. They give a list of the top 10 reasons why people get divorced. And keep in mind, guys, we live in a country right now where 50%, if not more, marriages end in divorce. It's stupid. It's not right. 
but this is the top 10 reasons marriage.com gives for divorce. Infidelity, money, lack of communication, constant arguing, weight gain, unrealistic expectations, lack of intimacy, lack of equality, uh, not being prepared for marriage, and abuse. Somewhere along the line, we forgot, I think that we forgot what death do us part meant. Because you see, it meant that marriage was a covenant, meaning a lifelong commitment. It wasn't a contract. And, and uh, I, I listened to this pastor who has a church down in Arizona. He actually gave a beautiful illustration of this. Uh, I was listening to it just kind of in passing one day, and I heard him share it, and I was just like, ooh, dang, I'm, one of these days I'm going to share this. But he was sharing a story about a time that he and his wife were getting into an intense argument with one another. And as it was intensifying and, and it was getting heated, he ends up looking at his wife and he goes, you know what, if you were one of my employees, I would fire you. You guys, that's doing marriage with a contract-minded mentality. That's the person that's sitting there going, you know what, you're not meeting my need anymore. So if I don't need you, then I don't need you. Might as well be done with you. But I love the way that his wife responded because his wife said, it's a good thing that I'm not your employee, I'm your wife. She's doing the marriage with a covenant mentality. I'm in this for the long haul. And you better get on my level. So where do we learn to win at marriage? I believe that it begins in our relationships and dating. But my question for you guys is, do you know the difference between the two? Do you know the difference between dating and relationships? Let me share with you the difference. Relationships means a romantic or passionate attachment. A relationship implies that two people love each other and are committed to each other. Dating, on the other hand, is to do an activity with someone you might have a romantic relationship with or to go on a date with or several dates with. You might go on multiple different dates with multiple different people because there is no commitment. That's the difference between relationships and dating. And dating has changed a lot through the years. Actually, the concept of dating uh, didn't become established in America until the early of uh, the 20th century. Because you see, back before that, the common practice was that, hey, if a guy was interested in a girl, the parents would actually invite the guys into the home, and then they would sit there and basically interview these guys and sit there and go, hey, what can you offer my daughter? And based off of social and familial uh, status, a husband would be chosen for their daughter. But starting in the early of the 20th century, all of a sudden, guys and girls started going on dates with each other. They were going on unsupervised dates. But the intent, the purpose of this dating was for marriage. So they, they had the long game in mind when it came to the dating. But as time went on, all of a sudden, the long game was no longer important. In fact, dating turned more into two individual people just kind of coming together with no real intention other than one meeting each other's need at the time. You fast forward today and, to today, and dating is more about two individuals rather than a couple. I like this quote from The Odyssey Online. They write, whether you're dating or in a relationship, make sure you are putting yourself first and making yourself happy. <laughs> These are comments out in the world. 
that, that young teenagers and young adults like y'all, that, that's what you're reading. That's what's getting into your mind. That's the kind of stuff that Satan loves for y'all to read. Forget about diving into God's word. If you can just read the odysseyonline.com, man, they'll tell you everything you need to know about relationships and dating. But if that's what dating is about, making yourself happy, then you'll never be prepared for marriage. And keep in mind that not being prepared for marriage was one of the top ten reasons why people get divorced. If you dump every person that stops making you happy, then all you're doing is teaching yourself to practice quitting, not committing. Think about that. If every single time that you begin to date somebody and all of a sudden they're not meeting that need and you're like, eh, forget it, I'm going to quit this thing. You're teaching yourself to practice, forget it, quit it, I'm moving on. Well, let me find somebody else who can meet my temporary need. Dating apps today are actually teaching our world to quit and not commit more quickly. And I'll prove it to you. Swipe right. I mean, if you don't like what you see, keep swiping. Forget about actually getting to know the person. We have a generation that are basing their wants and needs based off of a picture and a, and a quick bio of an individual. And so if your goal is to marry the hottest person in the world, let me tell you, you missed out. I already married her. Okay? Simple as that. I had to throw that in there. But if that's truly your goal, let me tell you this. If your one and only goal is to be the person that marries the hottest person in the room, there's always going to be somebody hotter. In fact, as age starts setting in, there's always going to be someone younger and hotter. And I go to the gym Monday through Friday. I see that all the time. It's truth, right? But I, people aren't in it for the long haul game anymore. But 40 million people in America today have tried dating apps. 40 million people have tried dating apps. Now, hear me out for a second. I'm not necessarily saying that dating apps are wrong. Melissa and I know a couple that they met each other through a dating app, and they're married, and they've got a strong marriage right now. We also know another couple that they met through a dating app, and they're getting married next month. So I'm not saying that they don't work, because clearly some of them do. But I'm saying, don't make it superficial. Like, if, if that's you, if you're on the dating apps, guys, don't make it superficial. Stop teaching yourself to quit something just when it stops meeting your need, because you're always going to have a need. In fact, let me make a recommendation for you. If you're trying to figure out, if you're in a dating relationship right now, you're in a serious relationship, and you're trying to figure out how to best communicate love to the person that you're in that relationship with, there's a great book out there called The Five Love Languages. I highly, highly recommend it to you. Because the problem is that you might be receiving love one way, whether that's physical touch or words of affirmation or quality time or gifts. But if you receive love best through, through quality time and the person that you're dating, they best receive love through gifts. If you're not giving a gift to that person, they're never going to have that emotional love tank filled up. If you're only trying to love them the way that you feel loved, you're missing the point. The idea is to serve each other. I love this quote that I found about dating apps. It rocks my world. It's like, yeah, that's true. This guy says this. He says, dating apps are no different from going to the bars and clubs before the internet. Let me hop on this thing. Let me see who I can find on here tonight. Oh, let me drive down to the bar tonight and see who I can find down there tonight. It's true. Like, that was such a true statement. I, it just blew my mind. But it, I want to say this. Before... Uh, you all just jump to any conclusions and you think that I'm trying to tell you that, hey, you shouldn't be dating anybody or you, you're starting to think, well, man, Stuart's just against dating. That's not true. I actually, I, I love dating. I'm all for dating. In fact, Melissa and I try to make a habit of it every Friday night. 
marriage or foryourmarriage.org, they had this to say um, the effects of dating on your marriage. They said married couples who devote time together at least once a week not only lowered the divorce rate, their divorce rate, but also increased the perceived quality, what people see and think about your marriage. Just devoting one day a week, it changes everything. Foryourmarriage.org continues on to say that date nights are healthy for your marriage because they, are, they better your communication. Again, another top 10 reason why people get divorced. It creates that spark. Yeah, it does. And it leads to a stronger commitment, and it's a de-stressor. Stronger commitment and a de-stressor. Marshall Siegel from DesiringGod.com, he wrote this. He says, the man or woman we date are not a series of lab experiments to prepare us to be a better husband or wife. <laughs> he continues on to say, the trends for dating today are more likely to prepare you to get divorced than to enjoy and persevere in marriage. The dating experience in the world today is teaching you to quit, not commit. The two warnings the Bible gives when it comes to love. In the book, Song of Songs, that's the X-rated book I was talking about. It mentions in there multiple times to not awaken love until the time is right. And what I get from that is God's telling us clearly from that book, love it's a powerful thing, not a play thing. Love is a powerful thing, not a play thing. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your hearts above all else, for it determines the course of your life. A few years ago, I was hanging out with one of my closest friends in a restaurant parking lot. is late at night. And uh, he says to me, Stu, I can't tell if I want to marry the girl that I've been dating or if I want to break up with her. And I was just like, Woo. Okay, wait a second. Now, let me paint the picture. He had been dating. And so I said to him, buddy, look, if, if those are your two options, if that's where you're at in this relationship right now, I would highly, highly recommend that you choose the latter. But it led me to ask him some questions. I said, hey, what do you love about this girl? And he gives me a, a rundown of a list of things that he loved about this girl. And then I switched it up on him. And I said, What's her favorite color? What's her favorite food? What's her favorite car? What's her favorite movie? And he couldn't answer the question. Some of them he could, but not all of them. And it, the reason why I asked that question is because that's typically something that we do when we first start getting to know somebody, right? We start figuring out what are their likes, what are their dislikes. And I told him, buddy, the problem isn't that you're falling out of love with this girl. The problem is that you stopped dating her. At some point in time, you just stop caring about getting to know her. And so he's sitting there at this fork in the road trying to figure out what to do next. And I'm like, dude, either start dating again, find that passion, find the thing that really got you interested in her to begin with, or do you choose that latter option and cut it off? Love is not a feeling, you guys. It is an action. And it's an action that if you're not practicing it, you'll forget how to use it. It just will. So again, I'm going to say this. I'm not against dating. I'm all for it. But my question for you is, are you dating with clarity and purpose? Are you dating just to say, hey, I'm in a relationship with somebody? Or are you dating because you have a clear direction where you want this to go and there's purpose behind it? Again, take it back to the early of the 20th century. And you know, young adults were going on these dates. 
and the intention in mind was, hey, I'm going on a date with you because I think I see something in you that I want to be in this for the long game. Fast forward again to now, and it's, hey, I think I see something in you that will meet a, a current need that I have. I don't know that I'll have this need later on down the line, so I don't know if this is going to last, but at least you'll meet the need now. Date with clarity and purpose. So we did. We talked about marriages tonight because dating relationships. Because uh, I don't know when you guys will get married. If you're married, uh, if you're in a serious relationship and you're just waiting for that dude to finally commit to you, uh, I don't know. I don't know where you guys are at. But I do know that the fifty divorce, fifty percent divorce rate is just stupid. I think that's something that we can all agree with because that's not how anybody pictures winning at marriage. In fact, I would even say that. Being in a relationship and dating somebody and the heartbreak and the regrets that come from temporary needs being met, I would say that that's not part of the winning formula. I would say that that's not what we're in it for. And again, it's because I believe that's not part of it because Jesus said that he came to give a rich and satisfying life. Where's the richness and the satisfaction in all that heartbreak and regret? I can't see it anywhere. But if you want my honest opinion, the only way that you can win at relationships and dating and marriage is by first being in a relationship with the one who created relationships, Jesus. I think far too often we worry about whether or not we will have friends. Will I or won't I uh, fall in love one day? And I think Disney and Hollywood, again, you guys, leaves us with this false expectation um, for love and marriage because... Of that, we search for something that's unattainable. Because we're watching these Disney movies and we're watching these uh, Hollywood movies like The Notebook and everything Nicholas Sparks puts out there, there's this myth that we're trying to achieve, and it's just that. It's a myth. But God wants you to have an amazing love story because he's the author of the greatest love story ever. John 3, 16 and 17 proves it. For this is how God loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Y'all, God loved you so much, and he loved you before you ever loved him, and he wants you to win at your marriage and relationships, and smack dab in this thing that he left behind for us, his divine word, his scriptures, is a roadmap to get you to exactly what we started this evening off with. When you closed your eyes and you were picturing how to win at your marriage, God gave that roadmap. And black and white, and when Jesus speaks, red and white. It's just right there for you. And the best way, the best one that I've ever seen, the clear-cut example of the roadmap that God left behind, Matthew 6.33, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Above all else. Who cares if you're in a relationship? Who cares if that guy or girl likes you? Who cares if you end up not getting married until you're 50, 60, 70? Above all else, seek first the kingdom of God. Live righteously. And he'll give you everything you need. If you're willing to be in a relationship with him first, he's got your back because he's always had your back. He will give you what you need when it's time. Y'all, We've been trying for so long to make something happen because being in a relationship, being, feeling loved by someone, being able to love someone, man, since we were little, that's been instilled in us. That's been the image that has been laid out there for us. That's the roadmap that Satan has led behind, left behind for us to grab a hold of and run with. 
because TV and Hollywood and books and magazines speak so much louder than God's word because we're more willing to dive into those things than we'll dive into God's word. See God first, be in a relationship with him, and he'll turn your mess and use it for his message. A lot of us will sit there and say, Stu, <laughs> this long game that you're talking about, I've already lost before I even stepped out of the tunnel. I've jacked up my relationships. I'm messed up for my future husband uh, or wife. And I would sit there, no, you're not. That, that's a lie straight from Satan. And that's why I say, be in that relationship with him. Seek him first above all else, and he'll turn that mess that you think you have into his message. So I always love to leave you guys with one thing, so here it is. To win at your marriage, you have to be willing to play the long game. But it starts with Jesus. If you don't have that solid foundation, that relationship with Jesus, and build upon that, you're building every relationship, your friendships, that boy or girl that you're interested in, your marriage, you're building that on shaky ground if it's not starting with Jesus. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss out on any new content. If you are a young adult in the Colorado Springs area, be sure to check out Everlast on Wednesday nights from 6.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. at 501 Castle Road, Colorado Springs, Colorado, 80904. For more information, please visit our website at cwccs.org. God bless.